Please be seated. Let us pray. Living God, through the reading of the scriptures and by the power of your spirit, may we hear for ourselves the good news and believe because of your word that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, amen, is the Savior. We are doing the children's Oh, okay. We invite the children to come forward. <laughs> Good morning. You know, usually we sit really kind of close together up here. So today, since there aren't very many of us, how about we spread out just a little bit, okay? There you go. That's called being safe, right? So how are you guys today? Are you good? Do either of you ever get really, really thirsty? Now, what makes you get really thirsty? Running around. Running around. Exactly. I like to run, and when I go running, I get super, super thirsty. And the only thing that I want to drink when I am that thirsty is water. Is that what you like to drink when you're super thirsty? Yeah. Usually I drink a juice at lunch. A juice at lunch and water when we're running around. That's a good thing. Our bodies need water. Because even though we think of our bodies as bone and skin and all those things, our bodies are about 60% water. So we have to have water to keep living. It's really, really important to us. Now, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we could drink some water and then never be thirsty again? Ooh. I keep talking about impossible things, don't I, Sabrina? Well, Jesus talked about a lot of things that seemed impossible. And our scripture today is about a time that Jesus talked about water that would make you never be thirsty again. See, here's what happened. Jesus went on a long walk. And when we go on a long walk, we get thirsty, right? So he stopped by a well where there was a lady from Samaria, and he asked her for a drink. Now, Jesus was a Jewish man, and Jewish men didn't often talk to Samaritan women. And so she was very confused about why Jesus was talking to her. But he asked her for a drink. And then he told her that he could give her living water. And then if she drank that, she would never be thirsty again. Well, the lady was totally confused now because she's still talking about this kind of water. And Jesus is talking about something else. He was talking about the love that God gives us. And he was telling her that our hearts want that kind of love. It, they crave that kind of love. And that the only way that that need can be met is through Jesus, the living water. And that's true for us, too. We need Jesus. He's the only one that can take away that great desire that we have in our hearts for God's love. But the good thing is we have him, right? Will you pray with me? Mm -hmm. Dear God, 
thank you for sending Jesus, our living water, who can fill our hearts with your love. In his name we pray. Amen. Today our first scripture reading is from the Old Testament in Exodus, verse, uh, chapter 17, 1-7. Please listen now for the word of the Lord. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for their water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord.
So a word of thanks to the musicians among us who have stepped up this morning on very short notice. Uh, thanks to Robin and Trey played this morning. Didn't know Trey played the piano. He does. So... <laughs> This morning, we're reading selective verses from the fourth chapter of John. Hear this reading for the people of God. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks that drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, You go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And then Jesus said, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you are now with is not even your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Then Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. The woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to see him. 
Many Samaritans in that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. Many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Friends, this is the gospel of our Christ. Thanks be to God. So I've always been a fan of the Old Testament. I love the stories of the Old Testament, the stories of the prophets and the minor prophets. But this story of the Exodus has always fascinated me. All of God's chosen people have landed in Egypt. They've been there for generations now, working for Pharaoh. They landed there in the days of Joseph when there was a great famine in the land. Joseph had gone ahead to Egypt and prepared provisions so that all of God's people would be taken care of. We're told in the story that there came a day when the pharaohs no longer remembered Joseph and the expertise that he showed in managing the kingdom, getting ready for the great famine. And the people of God became slaves to the pharaohs and they began to cry out to God for deliverance. We're told that the Lord heard their cries and God called Moses to go and free his people from the Pharaoh to guide them back to the land that God had promised them. And here's where I think it gets interesting. You see, when Moses first got to the people living in Egypt and told them that God had sent him to bring them back to the promised land, there were people among them that were like, uh, we don't want to go. We know what we've got here. It's a known quantity. And it may not be great, but it's not that bad. They had built a community there in Egypt that was safe and comfortable. They knew what the odds were. And as long as they played by the rules, even though they were slaves, it mostly worked out for them. They had a fair amount of autonomy. They could largely do as they pleased. So when Moses comes to lead them back to the land that God had provided them, the people were excited that God would be there to answer their prayers. But they weren't at all fired up about just following Moses. And even the ones that were excited about it didn't have any understanding of what they were getting into. It's one of those moments where you should be careful for what you pray for because it really might come true. But we don't always know the way God envisions coming true to be. When Moses leads the people of God into the wilderness, the people never suspected that it would take so long to get to where they were going. And the longer it took, three full generations of children of God wandering around in the wilderness the more they murmured. Isn't that a great Old Testament word? They murmured. Now, you know what murmured means, right? Not that any of you would have ever done it, but to murmur, to complain, to gripe, to gossip behind somebody's back, to, to tell somebody 
in true Southern fashion, that's not the way I would have done that. Which, of course, means they're not doing it right. But the best, such a biblical way of saying it. All the children of God would gang up on Moses and they would say, Why did you bring us out of Egypt into the desert to die? We could have died in Egypt and at least we had food and water. The people quarreled with Moses, it says. And Moses would come back, Why do you quarrel with me? God is leading us. You quarrel with God. But they didn't want to quarrel with God. They wanted to quarrel with Moses. And so they murmured a lot. The question, though, at the very end of the story is the one that is the best of all. When Moses reminds the people that the questions that they're asking are not at all dissimilar to the questions that we ask, is God with us or not? This morning we meet a woman at the well in the heat of the day. She's a Samaritan woman and Jesus is resting next to the well. She's coming at noon because she's been shunned by everyone else in her community. She doesn't want to come early in the morning when it's cool because she would have to be subjected to the taunts and the whispers of the other women in the community. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us why this woman has had five husbands, nor does he judge her because she is currently living with another man. It was a tradition in the Hebrew days of the Old Testament that when a husband died, his brother would marry the widow to take her into the family that she, so that she would be cared for. But five times? People start to whisper, maybe even say it out loud. She's a witch. She's cursed. There's something evil about that one. And so instead of having to hear all of that, because she knows what people are saying, she goes at noon to draw her water. The question in that moment is, the same question that she's asking that the people in Moses' day asked, the same question we ask, is God with us or not? You see, the Samaritan woman at the well, she believes that God has moved on from her, that she is beyond redemption. She is simply trying to survive with as little drama as possible. Now, we may live in that same world, simply trying to get by with as little drama as possible. The world that we live in has questions that are still as relevant now as they were then. Is God with us or not? It seems fitting to talk about how God fits and moves and has God's being in the midst of all of us in the world today. We as a community and as a global nation we are finding out the hard way that viruses are not bound by borders. They come and go as they please. They spread as they want. And no matter how much truth may come from Facebook, 
The reality is that we don't really know what's coming next. So we turn to our doctors and our scientists to, to explain it to us. I have a, a friend that is a geologist, and he is a scientist to the nth degree. And I know I shouldn't, but I do. When he starts fighting with people on Facebook, it is hilarious. And I fall for it every single time. I just start reading the comments. So here's my scientist response to people that are suddenly experts on viruses. Viruses follow a mathematical model that times the progression of sickness exponentially, doubling the number of cases very rapidly until our systems are overwhelmed. The system that we are most concerned about, of course, is our healthcare system. If we are able to slow the progression of the virus, flatten the curve, as they say, the hope is that we will provide some cushion for our healthcare system, for the supplies, for the equipment, for the human resources that we assign to our healthcare system. Because all of those things are finite, there are only so much of them to go around. That's the scientific explanation of what we are trying to accomplish by avoiding crowds and by canceling basketball. That's hard. But it also creates fear and anxiety when we start making changes to things that are normal. In a world that is awash currently in fear and anxiety about this virus that is floating around, it seems fitting that maybe people of faith should answer, ask and answer that question again. Is God with us or not? The answer in both the Old and the New Testaments is that God is with us in the water. That single element of life that you must have to sustain it. Got to have water. Jesus refers to it as living water, a water that will quench our thirst forever and lead us to eternal life. It will sustain us for all of our days. Jesus even suggests to the Samaritan woman that with this living water, she would be restored to the community that had ostracized her, reconnecting her with all that she had lost. That's a beautiful image. This woman who had been talked about and whispered about and gossiped about, that she could be restored to a community, reminded that she was a child of God who is loved just because of who she is. But I got to tell you, I like Moses' answer better. It just feels more Presbyterian. You know, Presbyterians... We, that Scots tradition that we are a part of, we just like to fight on occasion. Makes us feel good. And taking a stick in your hand because you're mad about something and hitting a rock with it, but it's better than that. God says to Moses, Moses, you take that stick I gave you, you get a bunch of elders of the tribes of Israel, and you go ahead to that rock at Horeb, and you hit it. Well... Presbyterians would gather up all the elders and go hit a rock. That's what we do. And that place where you're going to hit that rock in Oreb, you're going to name it Masa and Meribah because the people tested God and they didn't believe that God would come through. And God proved them wrong. 
when Moses takes that stick and strikes the rock, it doesn't say a trickle of water came from it. It said enough water flowed out of the crack in that rock that it watered all of the people of God and all of their livestock. It was a torrent of water that flowed forth for the people of God. It was a reminder that God was with God's people and God continues to be with us, God's people today. And so it is in these days of fear and uncertainty that God has given us, people of faith, an opportunity to point to the ways that God calls us to strike a rock so that the people might live. Providing water for the people of God these days might look something like this. What if in the days and the weeks ahead where we're kind of quarantined away from one another, if you were going to run to the grocery store, you pick up the phone ahead of time and you call someone who is, has no business being out and about because you know that they're at risk, that they haven't had the opportunity to go get groceries, and you just call and say, I'm headed to the grocery store. Can I pick something up for you while I'm there? That's a way to strike the rock, to keep them from getting in contact with people that they don't need to be around. Striking the rock also might be as simple as smiling at someone, showing kindness, being able to return calm in anxious times. Now, I know that what we did was not social distancing, but Joan and Catherine and I went to dinner last night at the, the Wild Wings Cafe over on Woodruff, and, and it was packed. And I got up to go wash my hands before I ate, and I was standing there washing my hands, and one of their employees was there in the men's room with a bottle of Clorox spraying everything down. And I got ready wiping my hands off, and I went to grab the door, and he said, Oh, no, 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 no. Let me get that door for you. Your hands are clean. What a nice thing to do. He didn't have to do that. It, it really was a nice kindness. Striking the rock could even be as simple as realizing that what might be a mild inconvenience for many of us, not gathering for worship for a week or two, not having those basketball or baseball games, that those mild inconveniences could in fact be saving the lives of someone we love. Striking the rock in a way that flattens that curve, that doesn't overwhelm our systems, that's not ever a bad thing to do, even if it is a little inconvenient. So let us be a reminder to the world around us that, that God is absolutely still with us, that God has not abandoned us, that God's going to continue to love us and support us and provide the water we need to live life, even in the uncertainty of the anxieties of being in the wilderness for a while. We know that we won't be wandering around in the wilderness of quarantine for as long as the Hebrew people wandered around in the desert. There's going to be enough water for all of us. That's just the way God works. Even the water of life, there'll be more than enough to sustain us in all of our days. 
even if there are a certain amount of anxiety in those days. So trust that the water will be there. Trust that the water of life will sustain us through our anxieties and our illnesses, the uncertainty of our days, because God is faithful. God provides for us, and God keeps God's promises every day. So use the water of life. Use regular water and wash your hands often. And smile. Be of good cheer. Return calm in the midst of anxiety. And be the child of God you were created to be in these anxious, uncertain times. Because God is with us. Thanks be to God. God is with us. Let's stand and sing hymn number 84. In the cross of Christ I glory. <laughs>